we want to amplify cognitions in a team environment where there's high levels of turbulence, discipline is critical. It is absolutely critical because that's the drumbeat of a line, collaborate, learn. Welcome to the Amplifying Cognition podcast, formerly the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by the unlimited potential of the human mind. Each week, I speak to incredible people who are working on how we can get to next level thinking, sense-making, and decision-making so we can keep ahead in an accelerating world. My guests share how they amplify their productivity, the success of organizations, and the potential of humanity by using an array of technologies, including AI, innovative processes, and sometimes simple everyday practices. I do this podcast to learn. I learn so much from every guest I speak to, and I'm sure you will too. But if you are intent on amplifying your cognition, simply go to amplifyingcognition.com to access a trove of useful resources, including the Humans Plus AI learning community, resources and downloads from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thought Weaver app, which allows you to interface more effectively with AI, transcripts from all of our podcast episodes, and far more. That's amplifyingcognition.com. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to hear more and help others to find the podcast by liking or sharing. It makes a massive difference, so thank you. On this episode, we talk with Graham Winter and Martin Bean. Graham Winter is founder of the Think One Team Consultancy. He was chief psychologist for three Australian Olympic campaigns and is the best-selling author of six books, including Think One Team. Martin Bean is a highly experienced chief executive who is leader of the major Australian university RMIT from 2015 to 2021 and the Open University from 2009 to 2015. He's currently CEO of the Bean Centre. He was named Commander of the British Empire in the 2015 UK Honours Awards. Graham Winter and Martin Bean are co-authors of the new book, Toolkit for Turbulence, the mindset and methods that leaders need to turn adversity to advantage. You can find more on their work at toolkitfortoburlance.com, grahamwinterpsychology.com, and thebeancenter.com. That's B-E-A-N-C-E-N-T-R-E. So in this episode, we talk about the themes of their book, including vulnerability as a strength, collaborative learning loops, high-performance cultures, amplifying team capabilities, and far more. It's a very pragmatic and useful episode. Stay tuned for Graham Winter and Martin Bean. So you have a marvelous book uh, just out, I think, by the time this podcast released, on toolkits for turbulent times. And that's what a, you know, part of the Genesis story, I think, uh, began in, in March 2020. So Martin, you uh, leader, had been for some time for, of RMIT, a very large university with 11,000 employees and 80,000 uh, students. And uh, in March 2020, the world changed. So what was that experience like? And in terms of how your readiness or how you changed through that? Uh, yes, it was... Uh quite the time, and I'm sure many of your listeners remember what they had to do to respond. But if if everybody remembers, it was particularly difficult for universities. We weren't allowed to receive any of the JobKeeper funding. Our students, our international students, um, were cut off because of the border closures. And in my context, uh, Ross, it meant that um, to survive, we needed to reduce the expenditure of the university 
by well over $200 million, um, almost over overnight. And luckily for me, Ross, I'd already been doing a lot of work with my my team for the prior couple of years with Graham as our coach, really putting in some performance um, psychology techniques to make sure that we could be a great team. But when those borders closed, Ross, I, I remember sitting there having a moment of pause, gathering myself, inviting Graham to a, a team's meeting and quite, quite, um, uh, I guess, humbly in one way, but also I guess I was in a bit of shock at the time, sort of admitting to Graham that I knew that the leadership playbook that had served me incredibly well for decades just was not going to be the playbook that I was going to need for the next 12 months to lead my team through the turbulence and all of the challenge that we would have ahead of us. And and uh, Graham, A, agreed, uh, and then B, gave me some very, very sound advice that I'll let him elaborate on. So Graham, in, in particular, I, I suppose, of course, you were not working just with Martin, but a whole team, no doubt, uh, many of which had different frames of mind around the situation. So, you know, in a nutshell, what tools or frames or did you bring to the to the uh, situation? Well, I think having spent a number of the year, a number of my working years in the performance psychology area, I'm, I'm always very mindful that the first thing to do is to understand obviously what your aims are, but but particularly what the context is in which you're operating. So we we talk quite a lot about um, technical challenges and adaptive challenges and linear and non-linear environments. And we recognize that from a team perspective, we had, yeah, Martin, I think you had well over half of your team were professors. It was also a large team. Um, you know, three of them were running sort of sub parts of the university with 25,000 plus students, so bigger than bigger than many Australian universities. So you had that high level of complexity and scale, um, but you also had people in an incredibly human position as well. So I remember one of the first things I, I said to Martin was, let's break this up into three simple pieces, functional, social, emotional, um, and let's just have some pretty regular conversations about each of your individuals. Where are they at functionally? What are they trying to do? What are their relationships like? Where's the conflicts? Where are the, where are the difficulties they're going to face? And emotionally, where are they at? Um, and we pretty much tic-tacked on that. We covered a whole lot of other things, but that was almost the first tool, many others, but that I think Martin was pretty handy because it gave us a quick reference point to to know where to to invest our time. That that's really interesting. And you you mentioned this idea of linear to nonlinear, and well, it's probably a long time <laughs> a long time since we lived in linear times, as it were. But they are, you know, of course, complex. And uh, part of the thing is the human brain is not well suited or we need to continue to evolve to to think that way but you you know you provided in that case a very simple framework which you know enables us to pull out the complexity there so what are some of the other ways in which we can in this incredibly non-linear essentially you know beyond the ability for humans to you know grasp easily you know how how is it we can break it down into elements what is the mindset in which we we approach breaking these things down into elements that we can work with. Yeah, I think one of the one of the critical elements, Ross, is to 
normalize the the natural human emotional reaction. Um, you know, in, in very simple terms, um, we are wired for negativity. We wouldn't have survived from an evolutionary biology perspective if we if we weren't. Um, but that ne- that doesn't necessarily serve us well because when we're placed in these non-linear environments. We like certainty. You know, there's some good research out of I think it was University College London where they they talk about um, that as as uncertainty increases, stress increases, um, and they use a simple example, but a pretty compelling one. People who are fearful of some form of uh, serious illness, their stress levels actually reduce once they get the diagnosis, even if the diagnosis is particularly dire. So we love certainty. So to me, one of the first things to do is to have a, uh, not just one conversation, but a, a sort of a, a norming conversation, if you like, with the team around that human reaction to go towards defensiveness, to go towards protection. And then how do you do that? Do you do that in an aggressive way? Do you take control? Do you become perfectionistic? Do you become more passive, more dependent? What, what are those sort of elements? And then how can we in a sense, go, okay, I'm recognizing the squirm. How do I now lean into that? But to me, that's the first point. It's it's not that I'm inv- I'm invincible or whatever. I'm sure we'll talk about this, but as 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 we've interviewed leaders um, for the book, um, the, the, the prevailing theme throughout it has been this discovery of greater vulnerability and that, that emotional vulnerability as a strength. And to me, that's that recognition that I'm human, I'm experiencing this, but it doesn't mean that I can't then choose to put my focus onto some things and move forward. But I'm going to have to deal with that first. And I know Martin um, will share an experience there. We ran a session very early on in COVID. We called it, I think it was Martin, we called it going towards the fire. And it was a pretty compelling one, but we were looking at our, I think, plan B and C, which or scenario B and C, which actually ended up coming into fruition, which was the 18 months to two-year lockdown. And Ross, I remember as if it was yesterday when we ran that exercise and, and, and I, I remember it personally because I could feel myself moving defensive. Uh, and, and really what Graham helped us do was to recognize those feelings, understand them as perfectly natural, but then give us some very practical ways of moving more towards opportunity, Ross. And, and sort of we landed on three C's, you know, it's about being constructive, courageous, and creative. Uh, and that if we could get ourselves to be that way, if we could have a clear intent and go towards the challenge rather than back away from them, but also give ourselves the, almost the permission to iterate and experiment, expect mistakes and, and, and realize that as we would make those mistakes, we, we would learn from them, but also persistence. And I think it was the persistence once we unlocked sort of ourselves from defensive into adaptive, we recognized that in all of that swirl, being courageously persistent was going to ultimately get us to where we needed to be. But I, I just remember it because it was so deeply personal for me, Ross, that sense of run away. This is all too hard, but actually very liberating when I lend forward into the opportunity. So, so I love that, that frame of constructive, courageous, creative, and it seems very useful, but I'm always interested in sort of like, like, like where, where the rubber hits the road. So those are nice words, they're wonderful words, but let's, we're working with your team. How is it that you shift 
people's frame of mind to be constructive, to be courageous, to be uh, creative when, yeah, it's it's very, very confronting situation. What's the reality of it? Yeah, so I'll give the reality of my team and then maybe, Graham, you explode it to your other observations, but probably a, um, a few rubber hit the road moments. First of all, you've got to openly discuss the fear and the defensive mindset, Ross. It can't, it can't be unspoken. So we had some very confronting, open, candid conversations about the fear, about what we were going to have to do together. The second thing that Graham helped me construct was link my deeply held personal values, Ross. What are those things that in my case, as you would have seen in the book, took me, took me back to very early times in my childhood of those key underlying values that fueled me to want to be with the team to get, to get through this. And there was a moment literally hours before we locked down where I shared those values with the group. They in kind became very vulnerable and reflected theirs. And we used that as an anchor point to give us the courage and the persistence that we would need to hold us together through what was going to be our most challenging year in business for us. And, 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 um, and we fell back on those deeply held values as, as a way of fueling our conviction to get it, to get it done. So those were some of the things that in the, when the rubber hit the road, we used to get people out of that defensive mindset more into that creative, courageous, constructive mindset. But, but Graham, what would you add to that as you worked with other teams through it? What I've observed over many years, and this is, to, this is just, I guess, borrowing from a number of other models, you know, Deming talked about plan, do, check, adapt. Um, yeah, the scientific method is a loop. So I've always, oh, well, not always, but I guess over probably the last 15 years or so, to me, the critical issue is that when you're in these high demand environments, I mean, this is about amplifying cognition, but in those high demand environments, the danger is that your cognition gets degraded. Um, but the way to not degrade it is to some extent what Martin's talked about, but it's then to use the team. Um, and a team is any more than one person. So so what we're endeavoring to do is to, to form that ability to operate in teams. So the question then is, okay, so if you look at special military services, you look at emergency medicine, um, you look at yeah, fleets of yachts and agile software and so on, there's a natural characteristic that all of those teams operate with and it's a rhythm and it's a disciplined rhythm and it's a rhythm of alignment, of collaboration, of learning to deliver. So what we're then doing is in a sense taking almost the most powerful um, psychology tool, which is a short-term goal, um, and then guiding the team into that discipline rhythm. So where are we at the moment? What can we do today? Let's get aligned, collaborate. How do we do that? So then simple tools around collaborative problem solving, tools around co-creation, um, very, very quick but effective debriefs individually and collectively. Um, to me, that's the key. I mean, I've, I've just spent the last two days in Canberra facilitating something for one of the new defence teams Exactly the same thing, setting up their aligned, collaborate, learn loops. Um, so it's the discipline then um, because, yeah, we, we talk about the emotion, we normalise that, but there's a task to be done here um, and we've got to get that done and we're going to get it done through alignment, through collaboration and learning. Um, and 
in that loop, the critical one is learning. You get the learn right. Yeah, you know, it's like a fleet of yachts. We can align, we collaborate, but it's actually driven by learning because then we realign, we recollaborate, we learn again. So that's the adaptive power, which which I'm sure Ross will take us into that. So how do you create the environment in which people can learn fast? Because um, you've got to learn faster than the environment that's coming at you. So, which which you know, which is a critical important point. So recently had John Hegel on the podcast talking about scalable learning. So how do we shift from scale up our learning as individuals and organizations? And again, I always want to go from the concept to the reality. So you have your, you know, your framework there and the learning about, you know, and obviously learning, I, I believe very much in learning by doing, of course, you're putting people in the situation, but what's the, the reality? We, we have to learn faster. The world is turbulent. The world is moving faster and faster. We have to learn more. We have to be more inclined to learn. You know, again, in a very, you know, pragmatic, you know, real world sense. What, what, what do you do? How do you get people to learn more? Martin, I might, I might just sort of highlight. I guess one of the things, I, I've, as you know, in my background, I spent a fair bit of time with Olympic teams and and so on, and then also in the corporate area. One thing you notice in the sport area is there is what I would call a feedback expectation. So if you're in an environment. Um, in a sporting context where you're not getting feedback, where you're not able to provide feedback, you're going to get out of there because you know that's not the environment in which you're going to develop. That is not the environment in most corporate situations. So a lot of it's about developing the skill to debrief, to reflect, to have the conversations. That'd be point one. And then point number two is that so often the debriefs tend to be more about the task and not about the people and the dynamics. And and it's getting the discipline of the debrief, the discipline of the reflection into the operating rhythm of teams um, and into the operating rhythm of individuals. But Martin, I'm sure you'll be able to explore a little more about how you do that with your team. Yeah, and I think that what I did with my team and what I'm observing, Ross, with teams across Australia that I'm working with now is they're often trapped in an operating rhythm, a cycle of the way that they collaborate and learn that actually no longer is relevant to the turbulent world that we live in. So one of the things that we did with my team and I work with other teams on now is to actually get the operating rhythm up on the wall and actually step back from it and say, is this any longer fit for purpose? And actually have the courage to revisit the operating rhythm and embed those those shorter, sharper, debriefed um, ways of working where, you know, stealing from agile methodology, we're working in a series of sprints rather than rigid quarters or annual cycles, Ross. The, the other thing then that you've got to be prepared to do though, is to get information from your people, your organization, your environment, your customers, your stakeholders that is more timely and potentially less perfect. In other words, you're better off bringing what you've got into the room that's timely and 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 reflective of what's going on right now rather than waiting six to seven months for something that has been beautifully manicured and polished and and when i talk about information often it's not just bringing data or information into the room it's bringing different people into the room that are closer to what is going on that can act as subject matter experts to speed your learning up ross very quick break to point you to amplifyingcognition.com. 
You'll find our stack of resources to help you get to next level thinking, sense making, and decision making, including the Humans Plus AI learning community with extensive courses and events, free downloads from my book Thriving on Overload, the Thought Weaver app to achieve more with AI, productivity programs for individuals and companies, and far more. Now back to the show. So I suppose this is you know, the idea of feedback at the heart of it. And so, so Graham, I mean, you referred to obviously athletes need immediate feedback on performance to be able to improve on that. And, you know, Martin, you're referring to accelerating that feedback loop where you have something in order to be able to learn from. So there are ways in which we can make that feedback more explicit or more helpful uh, in an organizational environment. I think a couple of things we've recognized, and it's come from some of the research, um, people are not necessarily wired to get up every morning and say, gee, I'd love to get some challenging feedback to that. Yeah, it's just not what we do, is it? It's, it's certainly not coming culturally. It's not what we do either. So I, I think one of the ways we, well, definitely one of the ways we do it is to flip that into gaining insights, um, seeking insights, rather than the sort of straight out conversation of like, how do I go and get feedback? So for example, I've got a um, leadership team I'm working with at the moment. We've got a, we've got to catch up next week. Um, their task over the last two weeks has been to have five minute conversations with each colleague, um, three point feedback. Um, one thing I can, um, one thing I can, that you'd like me to do more of one thing that maybe I could do less of and one thing that you value that I should keep doing. Um, again, none of these things are rocket science, but they don't get embedded. Um, and there's an old rule in performance psychology that says the last thing you learn is the first thing that falls apart under pressure. So one of the things I, I, I sort of pride ourselves on in the way that we've gone about with toolkit is um, yeah, you've got to work under pressure. So it's not an exercise in trying to make things complex. It's an exercise in producing the insight. Um, and what you're doing is trying to create that environment where you get more insights. And I think one of the best ways to get insight is to have people seek feedback. Um, people are more likely to then give it as well if they're asked for insights. Even just that language of insight versus feedback can be very useful as well. Um, but at the end of the day, it's building a discipline, it's building a rhythm. Um, you know, if we want to amplify cognitions in a team environment where there's high levels of turbulence, discipline is critical. It is absolutely critical because that's the that that sort of beat drum beat of a line, collaborate, learn is what operates around it. And I find with, with executive teams, when they when they start thinking about, yeah, we're not we're not like we used to be. We're not we're not like a train where everybody sort of hitches their wagons and we know where we're gonna go and we've got a schedule and so on. We're like a fleet of yachts. We're accountable for our own yacht. We've got a role in the fleet. We're gonna be experiencing difficulties at times. But they can simply take that back to how do we align? How do we collaborate? How do we learn? How do we do that in our yacht? How do we do that with other yachts? How do we build a, a culture of discipline? I've got an exercise with a group next week. It's exactly what we are discussing is what do you want your culture of learning and discipline to look like and feel like and what's going to work in your environment? So it's got to be comfortable. It's got to work for them. There's not a cookie cutter approach to this, but it is about insights coming in. And as Martin said, one of the biggest challenges for CEOs is they don't get insights. People don't want them to know. Um, so they've got to go to the edge of their organizations to, to experience that. You know, the, the book uh, Peak by Anders Ericsson. So he's uh, famous for 
been the originator of the research of the 10,000 hour rule that uh, Malcolm Gladwell popularized. But uh, essentially, Anders Ericsson is, says, well, no, it's, it doesn't matter. 10,000 hours doesn't do it. What is 10,000 hours of practice with feedback? So that when you do something, and every time you do it, you get some feedback on whether or not it's the right thing and how to get better. And if that's so, you don't even need 10,000 hours necessarily, but it is the feedback which enables you to improve your performance. And that's, that's in a way the, the heart of it. So, any way in which you can get that useful feedback. And so, in sports, of course, you've got uh, all sorts of wonderful data sensors as, as well as coaches. And of course, uh, in a corporate environment, there's far less feedback and as you say for all sorts of reasons graham including that uh you know people don't like receiving feedback and managers often disinclined to to uh go to that challenging territory of giving that feedback ross can i add a point and then 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 pop to martin one of the things we observed a few years ago and it was one of those light bulb moments we looked at special military we looked at emergency medicine we looked at a whole variety of these areas and we realized that all of these high performance environments had natural pauses so there's a natural pause in a sporting event there's a pause between a mission there's a pause between a critical incident a big challenge for business leaders and credit to martin more than probably any chief executive i've ever worked with he built the pauses into his team to enable them to to set. And it, and it is that ability to get that poise that I think separates the effective teams from the not so effective when they're in turbulence. Martin, thoughts? So Martin, yeah. So Martin, how did you, how do you design those pauses which give opportunities for feedback and reflection? How do those become part of the working process? Yeah, no, and it, it's so important, isn't it, Graham? To get because feedback um, can only really be received appropriately if people are in the right mindset and they feel psychological safety to deliver it openly and candidly, and you, and for the receiver to have the support around them to be able to hear it and process it. And none of that can happen unless you create, literally, I used to do scuba diving when I was younger, Ross, and you used to have those decompression stops as you came up. So I think of them as decompression stops. But when you hit the decompression stop, I then really anchored in one of the core tools in the book, which is that ACL. So you would take time in the pause to realign. Are we all still focused on the right strategy, the right direction? If not, what's changed? What do we need to do to realign? And pause there. We then pause around collaboration. Okay, we said these were the signature ways we wanted to work together. And there's a a great tool called the five shares in the book that helps diagnose where the team is at and to develop their signature ways of working. And so you'd actually do a debriefing and a feedback exercise looking in the mirror to say, well, there are a lot of lovely words, but are we really living those? Not just when we're in the room, but when we scatter into the organization. And then perhaps the hardest one was to pause to learn because everybody's so busy, particularly in turbulence. We sort of make learn that thing that we'll get to eventually, but forcing the pause to learn, to bring the external voice in, bring the information in from the edges, But I increasingly find that unless leaders set their rhythm of the business up to have those decompression stops 
once a month, once a quarter, things will go horribly wrong under pressure. And so it's not actually, a, many think of it as, a, as an indulgent use of time. It's probably one of the best investments in time I think you can make as an executive leader. Fantastic. So I suppose more broadly, the book is largely, I, I think, around teams. I mean, it's around leadership, it is around organizations, but you know, the teams and how those can work effectively is at the heart of it. So if you talk about amplifying cognition, I mean, I think cognition applies just as much for teams as individuals. Uh, so what are some distilled thoughts around how is it we can amplify the capabilities of teams? What's what's the nub of it? What's the Where's the heart of being able to amplify that ability to make sense, to work well together? Well, there's a few elements to it, Ross, um, <laughs> as you would imagine. Um, I mean, the frame we use, again, I will go align, collaborate, learn. And we really hone in on six building blocks, so two in each. So align is, do we have a sense of direction and do we have a focus? Um, we find... Probably, I mean, our data shows somewhere between 60 and 70% of leadership teams do not have a clear purpose for their team. Now, that might sound ridiculous, but when you really pin an executive team down and go, what are you accountable for? Very few can be clear in what that is. They'll often say, well, we're going to deliver on the strategy. And I look at the CEO and go, "Ah, ah, 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 that's you. That's what you're accountable for. What is this team accountable for? And I think that that first point is that you amplify leadership teams' um, cognition and impact when they're clear that their role is to create the environment in which success can occur. And that environment is a whole lot of elements to it. And then they've got to provide the focus. Um, the second part, if you think of it then, is the, 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 the collaborate really has got two pieces to it. It's the development of partnering relationships, because as much as we think that organizations operate in teams and people are of course aggregated in teams stuff doesn't get done in teams stuff gets done between people so it's the partnering connections and relationships um and then the it's the ability of the synergy to make the decisions effectively and martin i think is exceptionally good at taking his team through some incredibly complex areas and the third part's the learn which is the awareness and the tempo which are the the, the elements so to me it's building we use that as a frame with a team. We've used that in the book. And we're essentially saying, calibrate yourself against this. Do we have direction? Do we have focus? Do we have the connections? Do we have the synergy? Do we have the awareness? Do we have the tempo? Where are we at? How do we need to move those forward? We can't afford the investment to be good at. I'm very good at all of them. But if we like, as in a business, there'll be one or two things. And in our context, we need to get really good. What is it? And then do you have any derailers? And I'd maybe just add to that, perhaps speaking to the listeners who are running teams, who might be the team leader, Ross, is to get the most out of the team. It's shifting your mindset from being a manager or a leader or an executive to be much more of thinking of yourself as a coach, Ross, and really thinking about what are those differences. And a a very powerful technique we talk about in the book is um, first of all, you've got to dial up the, the pace of your interactions with your team members, but then you've got to reconstruct the conversation. And we talk about if you move to conversations that are anchored in, what have you achieved that you're really proud of? How have you developed yourself in the last 60 days to really 
um, learn and understand what's going on. What brings you joy? What do you really enjoy in your role? And how as I, as your coach, can dial into that? But then also, how are you partnering with your colleagues on you, in the team? Um, you know, where have you got challenges? How can I help? How can I unlock the, the uh, sort of the barriers that might be emerging or, or existing? And Graham mentioned literally every Friday afternoon, we would get together and go team member by team member. And the onus was on me as the coach on Monday morning to adjust my interactions with them around that framework to help them bring their best to themselves and the team. And a little bit of that was prioritizing self-care, Ross, that we talk about in the book as well. Self-care for me as the coach and being in my best space, but also caring for the whole person, not just how they're achieving with the task. And so it, it is largely, we talk in the book about how it's got to start with the coach first and the leader first, and then bringing those new techniques to the team so that they they can excel individually and as one, Ross. Fantastic. So just to just round out sort of quickly, uh, so there's 20, 25 uh, tools, I think. I, I tried to count them in the book. And and I don't think we we're able to really describe them uh, in any detail right now, but just for each of you, just what is one, you know, the outline of one tool which you would offer as a as a gift, as a suggestion, as to something which you know could be useful to people to take and uh, apply immediately. Oh, sure. So there's two that come to mind for me. So I'll 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 pick one, and you'll see where you go, Graham. But we have a a tool in the book which is called the the Align, Collaborate, and Learn Team Canvas, Ross. So it basically talks about uh, the building blocks of, of building a team. Graham touched on it already, where it's got to start. You can start anywhere with the blocks, except we think you absolutely need to start first with what is the team direction? Why does the team exist? But if you get that up on a wall and you explain each of the six elements and have a great team conversation around where they believe the strengths and the gaps are in the team, it absolutely unlocks one of the most powerful conversations, Ross, around a shared understanding of where the team needs to build on its strengths or go after its gaps. It's never failed me, and it's the sort of tool that you can use multiple times because teams aren't static. So every And it is part of the debriefing process that I used with my team and I now help other leaders take to theirs. What about you, Graham? I, I'm going to tackle the performance conversation, Ross. I think the vast majority of organizations have got uh, linear industrial models for their performance conversations. Um, I, I would encourage your listeners to redefine what they mean by performance. So the tool we talk about there, and Martin mentioned it briefly earlier, if you want to sustain performance, there are four elements. You need to be achieving meaningful outcomes. You need to be developing and growing, enjoying what you're doing and partnering. So you put that into a cadence with your team of achieve, develop, enjoy, partner, have a 90-day alignment around what we're going to do, and then 30-day check-ins. 
And in the book, we've, uh, we've, we've interviewed 15 leaders. Many of those are leaders that we've worked with, and they use that. So the chief defence scientist uses it with her team. Martin uses it with his team. Um, yeah, Paul Doldig, who was at yeah, ANU, was using it there. So it's used in a number of banks and universities and so on. And it's very simple because it just allows you, I think, to have a, a proper conversation about the four critical inputs to performance, whereas so many performance conversations tend to be just about the task and a little bit about maybe some training stuff. So I'd say we shorthand is ADEP, achieve, develop, enjoy, partner. Um, try that. And I knew it. I, I actually knew that it worked. Just the funny aside, when we first tested this out, a lady came back to me after after the sort of about 30-day, maybe the 60-day debrief, and she said, oh, my goodness, this ADEP works. And I said, how do you know it? She said, I caught myself having a conversation with my eight-year-old daughter. And it's, a, it's an ADEP conversation. I'm asking you, what, who did she play with? What did she achieve? What, what sort of fun did she have? So I think we need to make natural tools embedded in organisations so that the sort of performance you're bringing out is the best in people. That's how you amplify cognition. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your insights, uh, Graham and Martin. So where can people go to find out more about each of your work and uh, find the book? Yeah, so we um, have got a website that people can go to, which is uh, quite a simple URL. It's just toolkitforturbulence.com, one word, and you'll see uh, everything that you'll need to know about the book there. Plus, we've got some tools that people can grab and start using right away, Ross. Uh, And you'll also find the links there if you'd like to to order the book. We also uh, have in the month of November a masterclass that we're offering uh, free for anybody that wants to register and come along. And so the website has the link to that as well. If you would like to join us, it would be a pleasure to meet you uh, and to hear a little bit more about the about the book. And thank you for asking, Ross. Fantastic. And we'll, all of those links into both of your uh, other work will be on the show notes. So thank you so much. It's uh, been a great pleasure having you on the show. Ross, thank you very much. And thanks for the podcast generally. I, I, I find it incredibly valuable and I refer it to so many of my clients. So thank you. Thank you, Ross. Thank you for listening to the show. If you really want to amplify your cognition, go to amplifyingcognition.com where you can access a trove of useful resources to make your mind better and more effective than ever before. If you liked this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review. And subscribe if you want to hear more of this. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.